Welcome to Only Today, a Gathering Mana podcast, where Catholic moms can find practical tips, advice, and help that will equip them to live more joyfully in their vocations as mothers and wives. This series is called Trapping Foxes, and we're talking about marriage. The name comes from a verse in the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, that says, Catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyard, for our vineyards are in blossom. Believing that God wants our marriages to be thriving vineyards and bloom in Him, in this series we will be discussing some issues and areas that can discourage us in our marriages, and how to find more joy in our spouses. Let's listen in. Good morning, fellow mamas. As mentioned, we are in the series Trapping Foxes today, and this is where we look at ways to build and sharpen our marriages and tools so that we can become better wives and mothers and better followers of Christ as we walk out this vocation of marriage. I am your host, Lauren, and I'm so happy to be with you to talk about a topic that I am fairly certain every single woman who is within the sound of my voice has experienced before. And what we're talking about today is about how to love our husbands when they're hurting our hearts. Whether that's intentional or unintentional, um, that happens sometimes. And we struggle to know how, you know, how do I do this well? I mean, this this season seems really tough and he's me and I feel so abandoned or just whatever it is that you're feeling, but how do I love him in the midst of that? How do I choose love and choose a self-donating kind of love, the same love that Christ had towards my husband? What does that even look like when we're barely talking? So that's what we're going to kind of explore today. It's really important that I issue a disclaimer right up front that if you are in an actively abusive relationship, whether that situation is emotional physical or spiritual or of an addictive nature, seek protection. Um, The things that I am about to suggest are not and should not be applied to situations where a woman is being threatened, oppressed, abused, or seriously manipulated by her spouse. These principles are important even in these situations, but but when you do apply these principles, it needs to be from a safe distance when you have removed yourself from the immediate proximity of the individual who is doing violence to your heart. So with that disclaimer said, um, we want to make sure that we take care of our sisters who are in that type of suffering and pray diligently for them, hoping that it's not someone who's listening right now, but knowing that it really could be. So do take a minute to pray for women who are in situations that actually are very serious and possibly life-threatening. But if that's not you, and you happen to be in a normal marriage that has or is going through a tough spot, I think you'll understand what I mean when I ask the question, how do I do this the right way? How do I honor Christ in the middle of this? How do I honor God when I'm feeling this way? And I bet you've been through it too, these times when um, these seasons in marriage where things just seem confusing, and it's like you're speaking two separate languages. Nothing you do is being interpreted the way it was intended. Nothing your spouse is doing registers as kindness to you. Nothing they say comes from love. And, or at least maybe it feels that way. But everything seems just really gray and lonely. 
Sometimes dark thoughts start to crouch at the edges of your mind, just ready to kind of spring up and reproduce if you entertain them and invite them to take up residence. At this point, talking about it with your spouse will probably lead to yelling and rage, so you both just retreat silently, hoping that it will pass soon. You are beginning to feel scared. Sometimes it's even worse than that. Maybe there are serious issues that are not being resolved. Maybe there's division that goes soul deep and you're wondering if you guys are even going to make it through this. There's a permanent knot in your chest. This season of marriage feels achy, desperate, and isolating. These are the moments when we are in our garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. You know, every day in our married vocation, we are there putting one foot in front of the other, doing the things that we're called to do caring for our family faithfully, assessing and handling finances and long-term decisions, handling a thousand small decisions every day, and doing our best to anticipate needs responsibly. But it is in these Gethsemane moments, these desperate moments, that we're just doing these things in the middle of some pretty intense emotional pain. We are, as Jesus was, just obeying. Obeying the Lord's call on our life and agreeing to His will even as it is bringing suffering that makes us beg him to take it away. Yet with Jesus we say, not my will but thine be done. We don't run away. We stay put. We reach out to God. These are the moments where we can truly enter into Jesus' suffering. These moments where we feel completely misunderstood, misrepresented and alone are the moments where God can draw us closer to us than ever before. But we have to meet Him in our garden. We have to pray. We have to pray just like Jesus did when He fell on His knees shedding tears and blood. I think that sometimes we are allowed to get a little bit desperate because that may be what it takes to push us to our knees. So the questions that are kind of rolling around in our heads are, how do you pray for someone who is actively, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally, hurting your heart? How do you love with self-abandon when everything you do isn't enough and every word you say is interpreted as something other than love? How do you really love your husband when he's hurting your heart? When the wall between you is too big, for you to climb over. There are some things you can do to help it fall without calling it out to your spouse right away. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to, you pray for him. I don't mean that you say a flippant or an autopilot, God bless him, or a Hail Mary for him, as powerful as the Hail Mary is. I mean that you take the real issues, the flaws, the character struggles, the, the, the issues that are causing the pain, and you go to God with it. You list it all out to Him and you ask Him point by point to be the Lord of even this. You ask Him to work in your husband's heart and you ask Him to keep you from standing in the way. As you pray for your husband, you're going to realize that you will often be praying for yourself. So is the nature of the union and the sacrament of marriage. The one flesh union is deeply evidenced in the ways that our sins affect one another. 
There's a story in the Gospels when Jesus is preaching and they had all gathered in a home and due to the crowding and the size of the homes in those days, there was no room for anyone to get in and there were some men who were desperate to get in. And so they actually made a hole in the roof of the house through which they passed their crippled friend so that he could encounter Jesus. There are going to be times in our marriages where we have to bring our husbands to God in prayer. Punching a hole through whatever metaphorical spiritual barriers there are and directly invoking God's divine rescue and intervention in their lives. I remember so vividly a point in my marriage where we were in one of those seasons where it, it's just we were just misfiring and not connecting with each other and I was broken hearted about how long this was dragging on and how, why I couldn't get through and it just it felt very much like an oppression and I just I sat I remember exactly where I was I was sitting on our guest room bed and I had this uh, a book in my hand praying with Mother Teresa and it is that book that got me through that that trial I cannot recommend it highly enough that's an aside but one of the things that I read in that book just hit me like a lightning bolt it said it is the very act of abandonment that elicits divine intervention. And for me, it was right after that that I said to God, I surrender. Whatever it is that you're wanting to do here, whatever you're going to ask me to go through, I say yes. Because I trust you. I trust your character. I know who you are. And I say yes. And and ladies, when we become desperate enough to invite God into our marriage and to give Him all of ourselves, it is at that point that He in return gives us the entire gift of His self. St. Teresa of Avila says, Ask God to increase His love in you, and He will increase it so much that you cannot even contain it. I remember watching, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie War Room, um, which it was in many ways a very delightful and inspiring movie about how this one woman just goes to bat for her marriage in prayer and she wallpapers this closet with scripture and she gets in that closet every day and she just prays over her husband and her family and God does massive changes. And I love that movie for that aspect because in reality, that's what we're all called to, is this life of desperate prayer where everything that we're struggling with is being brought before God, most importantly, our marriages. And I want so much to learn more and more about that. So the first thing you do, the first thing you do when you don't know what to do, um, when your husband is hurting your heart, is that you pray for him. The second thing is you continue to make small and loving gestures where larger ones might be misinterpreted. You make small little sacrifices of the will and little gestures of love. Um, when tensions are high, these tiny gestures of love communicate faithfulness to stick it through. Um, you keep washing his coffee cup, you keep buying his creamer, you keep sending him funny memes and inside jokes. You buy him a new tie and you hang it in his closet. You know the ways that you could make tiny gestures towards your husband. Every relationship is a little bit different and you could probably think of a lot of those right now. You know, you purchase the snacks that he loves. 
Maybe you guys aren't even talking and you don't even want to. And so it might even be easier to just say, I love you with Oreos. You speak favorably of him to other people when he is not around. Even your, as your heart pangs with sorrow and all the more as it pangs with sorrow. Do you understand, are you beginning to see the sacrificial nature of these kind of gestures? I bet you never thought before that buying snacks could be an act of love to Jesus, but I'm telling you, if you've ever been in a painful season of marriage, you know how difficult and hypocritical and wrong it might feel to do these little acts of love when you feel so angry and so hurt. But in so doing, you are actively inviting a love that is bigger than you to take over. You see, these tiny acts of love are so incredibly valuable to your soul, to your marriage, to the heart of the Lord Jesus, to the expansion of God's love in you, and they are devastating to the enemy's strongholds. These tiny ways that we choose love when we're suffering in love identify us deeply with the suffering Christ. They bind us to Him and they draw us into deep communion with Him. They peel back the veil to that little way that our sweet little Saint Therese taught us. They make us empty receptacles of grace. They open the door. They keep the channel clear so that God can move through you in your marriage. So we pray for our husbands. We make tiny gestures. Number three, we jog the atmosphere. We create a new normal. Sometimes we get into ruts in our ways of communication and they can be really damaging to our intimacy over time. Think about the ways that you normally react to certain annoying behaviors or to daily occurrences and actively choose to respond differently, possibly cheerfully or with trust when they occur again. This will likely get the attention of your spouse if the way you normally act is quite different from cheerful and trusting. When I find my husband and I sort of slipping into a space where ingratitude and taking advantage are becoming a little too default, I just start calling it out on myself to my spouse. And that has taken a lot of interior work to do that. You know, if I've snapped and given into a spirit of hostility, I'll just text my husband and apologize as soon as possible, which a few years ago, not happening. Never would have happened. Even if the slight, whatever I was I perceive happened, was deserved or justified, and even if I wasn't really at fault, I'm still going to go first to apologize. And this is just a really easy way to, mo- to imitate the Lord Jesus and, and actually God the Father in the garden at creation. He sought um, Adam and Eve out when he knew they were wrong. He came to them first. He hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't broken that relationship. Adam and Eve had broken that relationship. But the Lord sought them out for reconciliation. And so in this tiny way, we can do the same thing. We, 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 we seek reconciliation first, even if we were not at fault. I've kind of gotten to the point in my marriage where I recognize when there is bitterness um, brewing in my heart and I just refuse to participate in it. I refuse to play a game where my intimacy with Christ, my ability to be a receptacle of grace to my family is on the table, is going to be compromised. I simply refuse to play that game. Even though I want to cherish that bitterness, I go first to reconciliation with my husband because I don't want to pay the price of not repenting of that. In a mystical sense, 
uh, when I do this uh, with my husband, I'm, I'm kind of like handing him the bread or passing the peace in our sacramental union. It's in this tiny way that I'm giving him my offering of humility, which is vulnerability, and it's really an offering of myself. And in so doing this, I invite him to partake in the humility of Christ with me, doing this together. There is a Eucharistic aspect of this idea that's intentional on my part. Um, like Christ, I offer my life, um, also my right to be right, my need to cling to justification. I offer that life for the life of my marriage and my family. And very often, this act ushers in a similar one from my husband. So these are just some really tiny ways that we can sort of jog the atmosphere or create a new normal or switch up a routine that we've gotten into that's become a little bit dysfunctional. So a fourth way that we can sort of deal with these issues when our husbands are hurting our hearts, we pray for God to make peace between us. Now I know that sounds a little bit tried and oversimplistic, but how many of us actually do go before the Lord and say, Lord, make peace between me and my husband? Before I had started really um, becoming desperate enough to research these things and to try these things, that just wasn't something that I prayed. I just assumed we were supposed to be working that out ourselves and we would come to peace. But there are some things that only God can mend. And that's when you pray for peace. You know that God wants there to be peace, but you invite him into your heart in a different way as a sort of co-facilitator of this peace. You are the co-facilitator of this peace. And it's in a deeper way, a way without speaking. Sometimes the Lord will call you to speak words of peace or try to initiate reconciliation and reconnection about the offending issue. And then sometimes he will tell you to be still. Much of the work of peace in marriage has to do with one or both spouses speaking less, however, when the tensions are high. So it is at a time like this where you're going to want to be very careful to choose intentional words when discussing the conflict. He will be our peace. A fifth way that we can deal with this is to cover our minds in scripture to fend off the enemy's arrows. Let me be very clear, there is nothing he wants more than to destroy the harmony in your marriage. A holy marriage is extremely problematic for, his, for the enemy's plans for humanity. I assure you it's his number one priority to destroy it, your marriage and destroy the harmony in your marriage. And if you need evidence, take a look around you at the marriages in this country, at the things that you struggle with the most. He prowls like a roaring lion. The Bible says he's a hunter waiting for an opportunity to introduce defeating thoughts, temptations, frustrations, miscommunications, misrepresentations, and to make those things, as normal as they are within a relationship, seem enormous and insurmountable to you. He is always up to his old tricks from Eden, and he doesn't really have any new ones. He just finds new ways to apply them. Chief among those tactics is to make us doubt what God wants for us is good. He wants us to believe that God is holding back from us. You need to understand something right now. God does not call us to participate in anything that is insurmountable or impossible. In fact, those words don't exist with Him. Part of the work of marriage is uncovering our hidden beliefs about the goodness of God or about his involvement or desire to be involved in our marriages. God is right there, 
God is here with you in this fight. The Bible says He trains my arms for battle. And that battle is going to be primarily between your ears. Not only is He actively involved in seeking you out, He's calling you into regular fellowship with Him just like He did with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. Where are you? He calls. This is the time to really begin to read scripture and to allow the living word of God to combat the lies that we may have internalized from our past, the culture, or just poor formation or catechesis. Now is when we begin to seek to know God and to conform our hearts to Him. Prayer, meditation, Lexio Divina, and journaling, all of these are the most excellent ways to grow and holiness. I wrote a post about beatitudes in marriage. Definitely worth mentioning as I truly believe that an, erone an enormous part of our problem as Catholics today is that we've kind of forgotten the gospel call to poverty of spirit, which involves humility in all things. If you really want to see your marriage grow, try making this passage of scripture, the beatitudes, the guiding principle you use before you act and speak to your spouse and family. So we're covering our minds with scripture. We're protecting ourselves from the enemy by hiding under the mantle of Our Lady and, and under the refuge of the wings of God as we seek Him in prayer. We're also going to number six, enlist help. Call your mother. Now, I don't mean your biological mother. You can call her too if you have a good relationship. Don't call her if you don't have a good relationship, but call on our mother, our lady. Call on her. Consecrate your marriage to her and to the Holy Family and ask for their intervention in your heart and in your spouse's hearts so that they may be turned toward one another in tenderness. One of the most powerful prayers I have ever prayed in my marriage is, Lord, turn our hearts toward one another. Open our ears to really hear what we're trying to say. Help us to see the truth. I love Proverbs 31 where it says, The heart of her husband safely trusts her. That's so beautiful. Um, I, I always am trying, and, I, and I, it's a goal of my life, to be a safe spot for my spouse, to be a place where he can say the things he needs to say without worrying that I'm just going to get super defensive or just take everything personally, which I do a lot. And so that's an area that I'm really working on just to try to be a tender spot. You know, uh, one of the things that St. Edith Stein, who was also known as St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, one of the things that she was talking about is the way that women are shaped. Um, we're shaped to receive the people around us. We're shaped and to be a resting spot for the people around us. And that means making ourselves as soft as possible and, and as, as tender as possible as we let the Lord's love just wash away our pain so that we can receive the people around us. Another way that you need to enlist help is to actively seek other sisters in Christ praying for you, especially the ones who you know have a vibrant prayer life or an active and confident trust in the Lord. I feel that that sisterhood bond is so much stronger because we are so good as women at bearing each other's burdens and just coming up underneath each other. So you ask for the prayers of your sisters in Christ as you walk through this rough patch. Those prayers will shore you up and support you in unseen ways. You can count on that. Increase the frequency 
that you visit and participate in the sacraments. The sacraments are there to help us live the life that God is calling us to live, to give us the grace to be able to make the choices that He needs us to make. There are real things that happen to our spirits when a priest absolves us of our sin and confession. There are actual things that occur when we take the Eucharist. Increase the frequency of the sacraments in your life. That is the number one thing that you can do to be able to live the life that God is calling you to live. So, what about if you've done all this? Say, you know, I've done all this, I've prayed, I've, I, I've truly sought the Lord, and it is not getting better. It is still awful. And it is at this point that you are going to move on to discipline number seven, which is to practice interior and exterior silence as a discipline. When you have done all of this faithfully and you aren't able to perceive that things are getting any better, two more things must be done. The first thing is that you surrender and you wait. You make a trustful surrender to divine providence. You accept the invitation from Jesus. This place that you're in is your Bethany and you cling to him as he is about to reveal himself to you in a way that you have never seen. Um, one of When I say this is your Bethany, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus and when Lazarus died and Jesus couldn't make it back to the funeral. He didn't make it back, and he was not a part of the burial. And the sisters were beside themselves. Lazarus was one of his best friends. How could he do this to them? How could he just not come back? How could he just abandon them? And Martha said this to him as much. She said, where were you? Like She actually calls the Lord out and says, where were you? When, when all this was happening, how could you have done this and left us alone to, to deal with this? And Jesus' response was he started crying. He started crying. And I don't, I, I don't know that it was just because Lazarus had died, because Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. I think that why he was crying was because he was looking at the desperation in Martha's heart. And he knew that he was about to reveal himself to a way that, it, to reveal himself to her. I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling over my words. Um, in a way that she'd never known before. See, whereas before he was a healer and a teacher and, and their master, now he was going to reveal himself as a person who can make dead things come to life. This is new. This is what separates Jesus out from all these other good teachers in history. Nobody else can make dead things rise. That's what Christ was coming to do, and that was what Martha was waiting for in those painful times when it felt like he wasn't intervening. He was coming to her now to say, I'm about to show you something new. So at this point, when we've done all these things, we make a surrender. We wait. We accept this invitation from Jesus to walk closely with him in our suffering, in our Bethany, and we cling to him. It's during these kind of times that your primary work is going to be an active calming and surrendering of your anxieties as they present themselves daily, hourly, minute by minute. This is an active practice of trust that will yield tremendous benefits for you. It is in these times that the practice is discussed in my article about practicing the presence of God for moms, both at home at work, will be of great value to you as you work to bring your thoughts and your heart 
under the reign of Christ and in his truth. If God has not changed it yet, it yet remains for the sanctification of you and your spouse. And we must suffer well in this trial until the storms of destructions pass by, as the psalmist says. This type of dealing, this type of resignation, this is not despair. This is not avoidance. This is not numb repetition. This is an active, hopeful, willful trust being placed back into the hands of God. It is also bearing close to Jesus in your sorrow, offering it with Him, and praying for the good of every single person involved. So, as we review these things, we remember that there are uh, steps that we can take, active steps that we can take to love our husbands truly, genuinely, from the heart as Scripture admonishes us in the middle of painful times, in the middle of times where we're not even really talking very much. I hope that these, um, these, these few things that you can do are going to be of benefit to you. I hope this podcast is something that's edifying you. And know that I will be praying for the marriages of every single woman listening to this. I would love your feedback. I hope that you'll continue to tune in to Gathering Mana Podcasts. My prayer is for you to find joy today in the little things. And until we meet again, seek Him moment by moment because He is always seeking you.